You know, I hope you guys got a, um, a bulletin. Giving up and calling them bulletins. And for just for the next few minutes, it might even actually behoove you to uh, just use it instead of uh, whether it's your phone or your paper Bible because um, you're going to take you on a bit of a lyrical roller coaster. Not quite with the deafness Andrew just did, but you'll need to flip back and forth. Um, I, I don't know uh, if anybody here uh, knows what it's like to run on empty. Um, probably you do. Um, hopefully, it's been so long since you had to run on empty that you've forgotten what it's like. But if we sat back and thought about life a little bit, we've probably all done it sometime, sometime or another. Um, I can think of several seasons of my life where it could be described as running on empty and having to run anyway. You know, when your car is running on empty and eventually just you got to pull over on the side of the road. Uh, I think of one time early in uh, ministry for me, uh, we had, you know, baby one was on the ground, baby two was in the oven. And, and um, I was going to school and had a ton of responsibility as an associate pastor. And because I wasn't making much money, I, I was doing all kinds of other things like uh, worked on a couple farms and picked up odd jobs. And, and you know, I had to plan this mission trip and we go on this mission trip. And, and um, I was keeping up with like 50 some people and doing all this stuff. And, and I just sort of had this little... Uh, emotional breakdown one morning we were doing devotions and was kind of this little sanitary environment but but uh god just really showed up in the middle of uh you know i'm trying to share something with my team and and uh god shared something with me and i couldn't even finish talking i just i just had to weep for joy because i saw god's partnership in the moment i saw how i'd been running on empty but uh, god just come alongside me and I can, I can think of so many occasions where I've, I've, I've had uh, the pressure of, of whatever I was going through or the pain or the struggle just totally robbed me of my perspective. And I think this season we're going through here could really rob us of our perspective. And so we're, we're taking a, a quick but deep dive into Job. And today I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to try to go... Man, I'm going to try to go, try to go fast. But I want to start in Psalm 88, and, and uh, I really followed the temptation um, to um, read all of Psalm 88, and I'm not, so I, I chose a portion of Psalm 88, and it's Psalm 88, verses uh, 4 through 7, excuse me, 3 through 7. For my soul is full of troubles, and my, li my life draws near the shield. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your ways. Fathers, we open your word. Give us understanding today that we know has been downloaded to us from you. It doesn't just come from uh, human cunning or even human learning. It's 
speak to each person as only you can and open something us up in us that allows you more room to work. In Jesus I pray, amen. So if Psalm 88 gives us the feelings of what I want to share tonight, Job 29 and Job 30 give us the facts. Now, as I struggled to prepare this, this message in some sort of format that would fit into the context we're having to experience right now, I, I found uh, in Warren Wiersbe's commentary some very helpful thoughts that I put here. I know all you guys who are used to hearing me teach this, this dummy had a half a page last week and went over time, and he has four pages today. We're in trouble. I have four pages because I'm going to leave some of it to you guys to study. But if you can look at Job 29 and 30, using Warren Wearsby's really helpful little air, uh, outline here, let me see if I can build this case that will prepare us for the words of implication and application. Now, I'm not going to go over it all by reading all the scriptures. I'm going to reference them and tell it to you in paraphrase. In chapter 29, here's what Job does. Job says, remember the good old days. Now, if you haven't done that yet, it's just a sign you're real young. But I notice even kids do it. Kids will, say, kids will tell me, like middle schoolers, when, they'll say things like, when I was young. And I'll immediately start laughing, like, what do you mean when you were young? You are young, right? We're always looking back to some time that we have idealized. Well, Job does the same thing in Job chapter 29. As a matter of fact, if you want to typify what he said, you look at Job 29 too. He says, oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. He said, you remember the good old days? And then for the rest of Job 29, he, he enumerates all that happened to him because of the good old days. If you use that little outline I've given you, he basically says, I was a man who had a lot of honor and respect. This is what he said. When I headed out to the city gate, the young men got up and gave me a seat. The old men greeted me. The rulers and the rich people stopped to listen to what I was going to say. He, he basically said, man, people honored me. People respected me. And then if you get over here into chapter number 30, if you just look at Job chapter 30, verse 1, he says, but now they laugh at me. He sees fundamentally that the situation he is in has changed his relation to people, especially how people view him. The rug of respect has been jerked from under his feet. If you look again around Job 29, uh, verses 2 and 6, he, he, he has... He has all of these sayings in those few verses where he says, God was watching over me. God was with me. God's strength was with me. God's faith was on me. In other words, man, I was really blessed. You remember that time? You remember that season of life where I was really blessed and God was with me? Then if you go down to Job chapter 30, look at verse 16. He said, now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. You know, he basically says, you remember the old days when I'd walk up? And it was like the Red Sea. People parted. I was E.F. Hutton. Everyone was listening. And now I'm locked down and sick on the inside. I used to be a moving or shaker and people respected me. And now they don't. If you look at Job 29, verse 12. If you look in that area, 12 to 17. Job here says, 
Uh, listen, I used to see people, and I'm going to paraphrase this. I used to see people. And if they needed help, I was the kind of guy who helped them. If they were hungry, I fed them. If they were in trouble, I helped them uh, with their legal issues. If somebody laid hold to them, I, I, I broke them loose. Just a few minutes ago, I was thinking about this verse. Peter was walking up the hill, and he looked a bit forlorn. And I said, hey, Peter, what's going on? Is there somebody we need to go jump? Old Job was thinking about it. He says, I remember them days that if somebody was bothering somebody, I was Johnny on the spot. Then you get over into Job chapter 30, and if you look down at verse 24 and 25, this is what he accuses God of. He says, he says, you know, wasn't I that guy who helped people? Now I don't seem to find you helping me. I know what it's like to help the helpless, but you are not helping me when I'm helpless. It's an accusation, you might say. If you look back at Job chapter 29, around verse 18, and I hope you guys are flipping back and forth. If you look at verse 18, look at what he says. Then I thought I shall die in my nest. I shall multiply my days as the sand. My roots spread out to the waters with the dew all night on my branches. My glory fresh with me and my bow ever new in my hand. That's a really old-fashioned way to say my whole future seems filled with comfort, excitement, leisure, and prosperity. In other words, we might say today, I feel healthy and my 401k is booming. Now look at the contrast in Job chapter 30, verse 26. <laughs> it's a tremendous contrast. He says, but when I hoped for good, evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness came. My inward parts are in turmoil and never still. Days of affliction come to meet me. I go about darkened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. This guy, this guy is saying, like, I used to be filled with hope and expectation about my future. Now I can't even see my way through a day. As if that's not all, and it's not all. Look back at Job chapter 29, verse 21. He goes back here, he says, Men listened to me and waited, kept silence on my counsel. After I spoke, they did not speak again, and my word dropped upon them. They waited for me as for the rain. And they opened their mouths for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they had no confidence. In the light of my face that they did not uh, cast down. I chose their way and set his chief. And I lived like a king among his troops. You see that? He said, man, people listen to me. You go back to how he opens this and it's like, I, I was blessed. And everywhere I went, people expected to hear something good from me. And now contrast it with verse uh, verse uh, 29 through 31 in Job 30. Switch over to that chapter. He says, I'm a brother of jackals and a companion of ostriches. That means he's eating dead meat with his head in the dirt. What a picture. My skin turns black and falls from me. My bones burn with heat. That means it's full of sickness. My, my liars turn to mourning and my pipe to the voice of those who weep. He says, even when I try to make music, I... It, it, even good music sounds bad coming out of me. This man is saying, I was once a man of influence who did ministry, and now I'm no better than a buzzard dying in the roadway that even my squawking sounds unnatural. Do you see in these two chapters a picture that Job paints for you? He goes from a guy who had influence and hope and expectation and purpose he goes to a guy who had abundance, and he felt like he, he had a voice to help people, hands to help people, a mind to help people. 
and now he feels covered over by the day. He's like, even in the middle of the day, it feels like darkness envelops me. If this is not a picture of running on empty, I don't know what is. And you know what else he's doing? He's sitting around with these three friends who keep coming back at him with terrible advice. Terrible advice. Isn't that encouraging? You know, everything is going bad in your life and all your friends are giving you more terrible advice. All right, what's all that got to do with anything? I hope I built my case. I did it as fast as I could. My man is in a bad way. Anybody out there ever been in a bad way? I have. I have. Running on empty. Let's recap all of Job's life to this point in case you forgot his whole entire business is wrecked. His family, all his children are dead. All his children. You remember he had a bunch of sons and a bunch of daughters. All of them are dead. As far as we can tell, the only one that survived was his wife. And his wife's, his wife's best piece of advice is cuss God and die. Just go ahead and give up on this thought that there's a God that's going to make everything better. Realize that this is all of your life and it's no good and fall over dead. Wow. He is sick from head to toe with some sort of sickness. Literally from head to toe. It makes him sit around scratching his skin with a broken flower pot. And all of his friends, while you want to commend them that they come around him, all they have now for 20 years Nine chapters, 28 chapters. All they've done is give them terrible advice. Wow. Businesslessness, businessless, he ain't got no business. Family gone, health gone, friends no good. All the things you used to enjoy have been stripped away from you. He started out so good in this trial. The Bible that told us last week at the end of chapter one and the end of chapter two, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Well, guess what? He's sinning now. He's hurt, and his pain has destroyed his perspective. Now, let me ask you again. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there where your confusion, your pain, your sorrow has stolen your perspective, and suddenly you don't see God right anymore? You don't see yourself right anymore. You don't see the world right. Everything has been thrown askew. So what do you do? I want to give you guys four super quick pieces of advice. Four words of counsel from across the scope of Scripture. Are you ready? You ready to say amen? Amen. I didn't hear y'all at home. Amen. Okay, thanks. I heard you over there. Number one. Number one, adopt the right mindset. This sounds so simple, but it gets destroyed. Pain upends your mindset. Right here we quote Psalm 119, verse 68. The psalm is speaking to God. You are good and you do good. You are good and you do good. I don't care what you're going from. This has to be the basis of our mindset. Okay, God's good and he does good. Right now, nothing seems to be good. But if God is good and he always does good, then somehow, out of this bad, God is going to do good. Somebody say amen. Amen. 
And that will be the chiefest sermon to your heart in days of pain and struggle. It will also be the first thing that the enemy, that pain, that sinfulness, and worldliness will try to steal from you. I'll only give one example. I can give one for each. Go back to the garden. What's the first thing the enemy wants to do? He wants to undermine the goodness of God, the authority of God, and the intentions of God. And he just asks one little simple question. Did God really say? Whatever you're going through right now, your weakness will naturally destroy your perspective. The enemy desires to destroy your perspective. Understand that we need the right mindset all the time. Secondly, secondly, receive righteous ministry receive first receive it in yourself from the lord and also receive it from the body of christ i chose to give you some verses i'm not going to go through them all if you'll allow me to paraphrase they're really incredible it tells you the whole reason that god downloads the the character and gifting of christ to people to the church he gives apostles he gives all sorts of people and the bible tells you why he does it look at ephesians chapter 4 Look, look down at verse 14. You ready for this? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. It unfolds why God is giving the body gifts to minister to each other. Clay and I were talking about this yesterday. Clay, it is so critical that the whole bearing of all of the gifts of Jesus given to the whole church come to bear. We need to receive righteous ministry. Why? Here's the scripture tells you why. Why? Because immaturity positions us to be thrown around by the things that are going on in our life. Let me say that again. And I'm getting it right here from Ephesians 4. Immaturity positions us to be tossed around. And look at, look at all the things that will be used to toss us around. Uh, winds of doctrine. Human cunning. Craftiness and deceitful schemes. So my little cousin, uh, he's a few years younger than me, he was like every other little kid. And I, I, I never carried this all the way through, but he'd fall for it all the time. Like, let's say, for example, he, he was really spoiled and his dad would just give him five bucks. And that was a small fortune back in the day. You could take five dollars and go to the world of sports over in South Boston and just have a big time. I'd come up to him and have like two quarters, a nickel, and some pennies and say, do you want to trade? Do you want to trade? He fell for it every time. He saw more pieces, pieces that made sounds. He had one piece that only crinkled. I had a bunch of pieces that jangled. Do you want to trade? Do you know that the, the work of the enemy means to steal from you the treasure of heaven by offering you baubles for gold? And in our childish immaturity, he doesn't care what method he uses. He'll use multiple methods, but what he wants to do in our immaturity is toss us around so that we get knocked off of the treasure. So we receive righteous ministry. First from God and secondly from the body of Christ. And that's why it's so critical that we don't stop these touchings. We don't stop communicating. And when we communicate, we be open for God to use us in one another's lives 
Can we be open uh, and we stay open for God to use others in our lives? I'd love to belabor that point, but time doesn't permit it. Be ready to receive righteous ministry. Why? Because God wants you to grow up. God wants you to grow up. And God doesn't want you to grow up because he's sick of you acting like a child. He just knows the dangers of being spiritual children. Somebody say amen. There's just a danger of being spiritually childish. Thank you, bro. Do you realize what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with spiritual milk. I love milk. I love it. And this can be a wonderful thing to wash a steak down with. God wants you on spiritual meat. It's okay to wash it down with spiritual milk. But don't try to survive on unspiritual honey buns with some spiritual milk. See, we get our meal time all mixed up spiritually. And if you want to spell that, I can give you one among a thousand. Like, don't just do your devotions and then watch Netflix for three hours. Switch it around in your life. Watch Netflix for the same time you used to do devotions and then start digging into the Word for the time you used to be in Netflix. Rup row ragged. That boy just got into business. And you say, I don't watch Netflix. You know you're doing something, so get up off me. Just because I didn't name Hulu and YouTube and Voodoo and Boogaloo. I mean, some of us, we just, you know, what we do is we, we play too much. And we think preachers will be in me. He's telling me to stop playing so much. No, I'm telling you that God wants you to get strong enough that everything going to throw you all over the place and knock you off your treasure. Somebody say amen. amen. Thirdly, love others with godly methods. First Peter would tell us to keep loving one another earnestly. And if you've got a gift, use it to serve one another. That's important. If you go back and read all the chapters we skipped over, Job's friends are missing these two things. They're not doing righteous ministry, and they're not using godly methods. So their friendship isn't helping Job bridge the gap of God's silence. And lastly, apply forever hope to painful moments. We go back to where we started many weeks ago. We know that, all, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I can't always figure out where God is going, but I know where God is going. And so when I can't see where God is going, I have to remember where God is going. I, I have multiple GPSs. I, I actually love GPSs. Lord willing, Lord willing, we're going to drive out to Kansas or something. Lord willing. And I have uh, two GPSs already in my car. You know, we're doing this in July. The other day, I punched the address in where we're going. I'm just starting to plan my route. You know what I've also done? I own, a, I own an atlas. I'm old school. I've taken my atlas. I've planned my route. I've looked at, you know, I, I've looked at a couple things. There's, there's a city we want to stop in. I've, 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 I've sent off via email for a map in that city's chamber of commerce. I don't know if you know they'll do this. They'll, they'll uh, send you a map. They're going to send me a map, and I'm going to look at that, too. I'm making my plans, and I'm still trusting God to establish my steps. My goal isn't even the journey. My goal is the destination. My journey can get clouded, and I might get off course, but my destination has to stay in view. Your goal is not to get comfortable. 
in this life, your goal is to become just like Jesus. And sometimes we get so lost on the journey that we forget about the destination. And we start to judge what's going on by the journey instead of remembering the destination. I'm not saying don't be smart. I'm not saying don't have fun. I'm saying I want y'all to remember, church, that God's goal is to make you just like Jesus. Y'all believe me? God's goal is to make you just like Jesus. And the tough thing is we will not choose the things that will make us just like Jesus. We really won't a lot of times. Like, like, I mean, look at me. Do I look like I'm choosing a great diet? No, I am choosing more lemonade. You know, what, what kind of diet program am I going to go on one day? Oh, uh, probably some kind of sickness. All of a sudden, I'll lose weight. They say, Tim, you look great. I say, oh, it's wonderful. I feel terrible. If I don't pick it, it's going to get picked for me. I mean, one day I'll be as skinny as dust. Real cheerful sermon. I know it's a smaller crowd than last week. <laughs> hey, what does it boil down to? Everybody goes through trouble. Not everybody has a victorious life. Everybody goes through trouble, but everybody doesn't let God and, and the body of Christ minister to them. And this is a challenge to let God and the, the body of Christ minister to you. On the back side of this, what do you have to do? You have to be open about how you feel. You have to be honest about how you feel. And you have to be willing for people to remind you where God's going with all this and let people love you and instruct you in the middle of it. If you say, hey, I feel great, then look around for somebody who doesn't start doing ministry. I want to close with just a little bit of a letter. Uh, it's, the letter is three paragraphs long. I printed one paragraph for you. I want to read about half of that. This letter was written by John Newton to a friend whose sister was sick from some grave illness. I'm going to read it verbatim. Your sister is much upon my mind. Her illness grieves me. Were it in my power, I would quickly remove it. The Lord can, and I hope will, when it has answered the end for which he sent it. I trust he has brought her to us for good, and that she is chastised by him that she may not be condemned with the world. I hope, though she says little, she lifts up her heart to him for a blessing. I wish you may be enabled to leave her and yourself and all your concerns in his hand. He has a sovereign right to do with us as he pleases. And if we consider what we are, surely we shall confess we have no reason to complain. To those who seek him, his sovereignty is exercised in a way of grace. All shall work together for good. Everything is needful that he sins. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Be content to bear the cross. Others have borne it before you. Because the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Did you know that? You got a sister who has a grave illness, and what's your friend write to you? Your friend writes to you and says, bear the cross, man. Believe that God's doing something in your sister's life. It seems harsh. But this is righteous ministry, and it's and, and let me tell you what it's it's done with a, with godly methods. He writes to him the truth because in the dark hours of the night, all of our fantasies will leave us, and our nightmares will visit us, and we will have to discern the two by the unchanging truth. 
Pain will destroy your view of God, and it will strip you of your good dreams. It will visit upon you every worry, and we will need God in the midst of that and not faithless. So I come to you bearing difficult but good news. What is the good news? In all that has been ripped from under him, God is still God. And he's going to show up in Job's story. Please come back next week. He really is going to show up. <laughs> and when he does, he's going to answer all of Job's concerns. Right now, God seems absent. God seems quiet. And Job is undone. He's empty. I bet you some of you folks have felt like that too. To the believer, I say, hang on. Hang on. God's coming. He probably will not come in your time, but he's coming. Maybe you've never entered into a relationship with God, and this seems like the worst sermon in the world to start. Here's where I have to encourage you. God stands outside of our time, and he's going to work beyond our time. And he may not answer in this time everything the way he wanted to, but he will answer everything for all time based on the fact that he is good and everything he does is good. And so I would urge you to put your life and your trust in him who is good and does good. I've been fretted a little bit this weekend. I've been fretted. I've been fretted by some of the, the messages we've been getting from Michael Tuck. I have been. I'm not going to lie. Elizabeth is having these seizures and he, he doesn't know why. It was just thrilling a little while ago, Carson, when you told me she was just napping. It's so funny that it's just a little message like that just calmed my heart. She's napping. Praise God, right? And I say, what is going on with Elizabeth, God? And I don't know the answer. So I'm sort of upended. I am. I'm like, I'm worried about my sister. Then I have to remember that what is going on with Elizabeth? She is going to be made to the image of Jesus. And I can't tell you between right now and then exactly how that's going to be worked out. But he is good and he does good. And ultimately, Elizabeth's going to be just like Jesus. And my heart is still in pain in the moment, but it is also in hope for the future. I won't deny the pain. The pain must minister. Excuse me, the hope must minister to the pain. In like notion, Dale, what is it? Less than two weeks now, you have a surgery coming up, right, bro? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm worried for you, man. I'm going to be honest. I'm worried for you. But I'm also hopeful for you. Right? It's both. I'm concerned. I don't know how this is going to work out now. But I do know how all this is going to work out. Amen? And, and if I don't get with what... God's ultimate goodness, when I think about Elizabeth and I think about Dale, if I don't get with God's ultimate goodness, you, you know which one of these is going to win. The feelings of the moment will destroy the perspective of eternity. If our theology does not inform our feelings, if our theology does not direct our feelings, our feelings will disrupt our theology. We will lose perspective on the goodness of God. I know we're in a strange meeting. Dale, could, could you come up? Would you allow me to pray for you? I know this is one of these times we're not. Can I pray for you, brother? Can you come up here? 
Is it okay if I get Casey to come too? Brett, are you awake? That was just a little joke, guys. Um, I've already broken the rules this week in Hugdale. I couldn't stop myself. So how about I lay hands on you guys? Just lay hearts on me. How's, how's that? That works. How about you pray for him, Brett? Just let me. Uh, Father, we lift up our brother to you. And God, we rejoice that he is our brother. Yes. We rejoice in his salvation, that he knows you, yes. and that he is allowing you to work in his life. Uh, that the, the ways you have been shaping him has been encouraging, and, and he's just been receiving all that you have for him. Uh, God, I pray that in this time of, of, of hardship, that that would not cease to continue. God, I pray that you would continue to draw his heart to you, and that you would comfort him and his family. God, we know you're working in his life, and it's evident to anybody who knows him that he's receiving the work that you're doing. God, I pray that, that process would continue, and that he would know you more and more and more, and cherish who you are more and more. God, we pray for the doctors right now. Yes. They would just do exactly what they need to do to just take this right out yeah. and, and, and free him of this cancer that's in him and, and set him back on his way to just live in life like he has been for a while. Yes. God, I pray that it would just go without without any kind of problems, any kind of hiccups. We pray for comfort for his family, that, yes. um, that it's tough going through this, and it's tough going through this in this season of not being able to go to the hospital with them and not being able to do all those things. And God, I pray that you would give them wisdom on how to approach all of this and just give them the comfort that only you can bring, the peace that you offer that doesn't make sense with the circumstances that are going on. But God, you give peace in those times. So, God, we come to you now seeking you, not just what you give and what you offer, but, Father, desiring you. We pray that our brother would know you more and more in this season. Father, we love you, and we thank you for all your many blessings. Amen. If you run a little bit behind, um, Dale's got a mask. They're going to open him up on the 27th day. Be praying for him. One of the most encouraging things I heard this entire week was when Dale and I sat down or stood around to talk. We stood to talk. He was more concerned about people in his life that don't know the Lord than he is about himself. Uh, to say he's not concerned would be a flat out lie, wouldn't it, Dale? It'd be a lie. But I saw more hope in you than I did fear. Encourage me. I, I wanted to encourage him. He encouraged me. This, 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 this is Dale living his trust in Jesus. This is a whole lot bigger than COVID-19 and sitting in the grass rather than the pew. And So tonight, let's take our elements. <clears throat> 